Amen. Thank you for having us here today. And oh, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. And uh, yes, Micah is what we've named the child that we'll be having in two months, just in case you were looking for that third guy, wonder if he's playing an instrument somewhere else, but that's what he meant by trio. Thank you for having us here today. Uh, for those of you who weren't in Sunday school, I'll just introduce myself again, just in case. I'm Jonathan Stansel, my wife Kara, and baby Micah is in her womb. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Kara's like, don't be weird. Um, and there's Joy, Noel, and Luke are in the children's ministry, nine, six, and four, and uh, we appreciate y'all being here today. They, Luke said this morning, we're going to the church with the puppets. And I said, yes, that's right. That's how he remembers. Oh, yes, he's very sweet. And uh, so take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Luke chapter 12. I'm honored to be here. I'm always honored to be anywhere, because uh, anytime the Lord allows me to do anything or to preach or to sing, it's always it's always weird that God would, would use me. I really don't feel like I'm an extra special Christian or extra holy or extra smart or, or extra athletic or anything, and yet I get to do different things here and there for the Lord. I'm especially honored to be here during your Missions Emphasis Month. I love missionaries. Growing up as an evangelist kid, an evangelist is somebody who travels and preaches. He doesn't just stay in one place like a pastor. So my dad was and is an evangelist. He just got back from Israel preaching yesterday or early this morning or whatever. And so I got to travel with him a lot of the time and he and my mom and got to be in most states by the time I was a teenager, been to a lot of places and then a lot of foreign countries when I was a teenager. And we had a real strong missions focus at the church where I grew up. It, uh, in Springfield, Tennessee, South Haven Baptist Church, and they put on the greatest missions conference I've ever seen in my life, where for the whole week, Sunday to Sunday, they just shower these missionaries with blessings. They have several families in, and I just love missionaries. So that's been put into me, and what it is is these they're heroes of the faith. They really are. Now, they walk in, and many of them are unassuming, and they have like 12 children, and they have a 15-passenger van, and uh, the wife always looks tired because of all the children and, and you know, and you think all oh, these poor, pitiful missionaries. I think in heaven, they will be the ones that are so honored and so blessed because of their sacrifice. What they do is they, they absolutely sacrifice for the Lord. They go from church to church to church. Uh, on trial, uh, every service, and do we like these guys or what? And then, uh, for, you know, a few dollars a month, maybe, maybe, it takes them years to get their support. Because a lot of these countries, you say, well, they just need to get a job when they get there. A lot of these countries, um, probably most of these countries, you can't just get a job when you get there. You've got to show the government that you have financing so you don't take away from their economy. You can't take a job from a national. That's their idea there. And it's actually the same way here. And so in this country, so these, these fine, fine Christians, they give their lives to the Lord. They go to Bible college. They, they scrape. They work at McDonald's or a warehouse overnight to pay for tuition. And then they get married and then they go on the, the mission field and then they go to the, places where you and I would not be willing to go or maybe unable to go, and they go to fulfill the Great Commission the Lord gave the church. I love missionaries. They they don't get enough. They deserve a lot more than they do get from, from I'm not, not against you, but just from, from more than we are able to give. They deserve more. And so I love missionaries. Missions has been described, I heard it one way like this. If you had somebody that fell down a well, dark, scary, dangerous, they need to be saved. 
It takes two people to save them. One person willing to go down into the dark, dangerous, scary place, and another person to stand on the ground and hold the rope. That's what you and I are doing, holding the rope, that little faith promise. Do you have that in your Bible, maybe, this faith promise missions giving? Uh, you might say, well, another year, another faith promise. I, if I only withheld some of that money, I'd be able to do a little bit more in my life this year. I think I'll back up on missions. God is never the God of less and less, always the God of more and more. As you grow in your faith and as you grow in the Lord, it should be more and more all the time. They are worthy. And it's not even them, it's the Lord. If you want to give to the Lord, that is that is as pure as you can get, giving to the Lord, the Lord's work. And I'm not a missionary and I'm not asking for money. So that's why I feel like I can say all of that. I absolutely love missionaries. They deserve everything. I've been to mission fields where what, what my dad will do is he will get a hold of them ahead of time and they'll ask what they need. And always it's one or two things. Like, what do you like? What are you really missing from the States? They can't get a lot of things that you and I take for granted. And then he'll get one or two things and he'll say, no, I mean it. What do you need? Give me something that you really need. Like a generator, all, all of everything that you'd want in your pantry at home. And then he fills up all the suitcases he can and several suitcases and brings them. And I've been there several times when he opened up that suitcase like Christmas morning and just started handing all the toys, the clothes that the kids couldn't find. And and just simple things like a baking powder or different things that the wife couldn't find, a, a drill, a power drill for the... And it's just such a blessing because they're just at that level, they're just needing the simplest things. And so I love that you love missionaries. I love missionaries too. And along those lines this morning, I'll be teaching on a subject that really, you know, people get nervous when the preacher talks about money. Well, the preacher is supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. The Bible says a lot about money. Jesus said a lot about money. Because when you hear Jesus, and you think about this with me for a little bit, this is a, okay, and let me just qualify. This is a brand new message. I've never preached it before. Evangelist, my dad's an evangelist. He's got it. I don't want to say easy because it is hard to go travel from place to place. But as far as preaching is concerned, you can preach the same message over and over, get it all polished up and perfect, and you're really good at it. I've heard the fear of man bringeth a snare like a hundred times from him as preaching, going place to place. And it's good. It's a blessing. You've never heard it. They've never heard it. So what's the harm? But I, I really, that's not me. I, I, I'm a pastor. I like to preach different things. But it would have been easier for me to preach something I'd preached before. But I really felt like this was the message for y'all, not for any other reason than the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do you all I'll say y'all here. Am I okay with that? Y'all, you know what I'm trying to say? You guys. Um, so y'all, it's a Bible thing. You all. Paul never said you guys. He said you all. So anyways, I used to say you guys when I lived in Indiana. But I know that this is the message for us today. You think about Jesus, whenever he would teach, it was always about getting our focus on the right things. It was always about taking our little picture, we think in small terms, just carnally, our flesh, and getting it into big picture, taking us from what we're focused on and worried about here and giving us an, a better understanding, a bigger perspective of life, of eternity, really how we should think about things. Uh, when I say big picture versus little picture, it's what really pops out to me from this passage in Luke 12 today. And by that, we mean like if you're going to understand a masterpiece of painting, it would be impossible to really understand the painting by just focusing in on a little two-by-two-inch square of that painting. You need a big-picture view to really get what the artist is trying to do here. Well, you think about that. It's at every stage of our life for somebody before they get saved. When, when you were without Christ, God needed to get you from a place of, 
of a little picture, if you just focused on your earthly life and this is all there is, then there's death, there's no more, uh, just the things you were worried about to give you a big picture, to give you an understanding of reality, that there's an eternity, that your soul will exist forever, either in heaven or hell, that sin, that's just a trifle, that's just a pleasurable thing at that moment, it's much bigger than that. It's not a white lie, sin. I mean, sin is what takes you to a devil's hell. It's what makes you have to go there. Then a big picture, though, the grace of God, not your little works, but the grace of God can forgive you of those sins. Jesus came, died, buried, rose again. The gift of eternal life. You see, big picture stuff, big thinking. And in order to be saved, you have to accept that by faith, the gift of eternal life. So so broadening your understanding. One of the things, I, I mean, just think, of, I, we could go through the scripture. Peter, Peter, when he was walking on the water, when he looked at the waves, he began to sink. Little things, the things here and now, the things that were right in front of him. And Jesus said, no, no, look at me, look at me. And then he was able to walk, you see? Broadening our perspective, getting a big picture of things on life. And I think one of the things that we need to always be aligning our thinking with Christ on is the subject of money. Money really drives us in our decisions sometimes, doesn't it? It, it worries us. It fills us with anxiety. And Luke chapter 12 here, I, I want to show you this. Look, look at verse number one. Jesus is giving them a big picture thing. He, he's, he's, he's got a big crowd of people around him. The Pharisees are trying, this is all introduction. The Pharisees are trying to trap him, trying to hear him say something that maybe he's not supposed to say according to them and try to manipulate his words. They'll do that eventually when he's crucified, but they're listening. They're lying in wait. Jesus turns to his disciples and gives them some really big picture stuff. Some important things. Just for context, it's not what the message is, but just I want you to see the contrast between verses 1 through 12 and then the question he's asked. So verse 1, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. How many is that? That's a whole bunch. Inasmuch as they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The Pharisees were just harassing him. That's why he's saying that. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before him, before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. That's a sin of unbelief, rebellion against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what ye ought to say. So he's getting his disciples ready for his departure. He's, he's getting them ready. We talked about that in Acts a little bit this morning, how they were ready at that point. They had been prepared for years by their master. This is big picture stuff. I'm not going to develop all that. I can't do it this morning. It's not the, the specific point of the message. But big picture stuff, right? Very important things. Matters of eternity, being confessed or denied before the angels of heaven, things in secret being spoken out loud, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, big things, important things. And then 
a Yahoo from the crowd comes to Jesus. Look at the contrast. Verse 13. One of the companies said unto him. Now, I don't think he was maybe, I, I, we don't know. He might have been listening to what Jesus said. He was at least watching Jesus speak because he was waiting for a little break in what he was saying. Have you ever had that where you're talking to somebody and you don't really think that they're actually listening to the words that you're saying? They're just waiting for an opportunity to talk about what they want to talk about? Well, I think that's what was happening here. Here was a man who came because he had a money problem and he wanted Jesus to fix it. He didn't care about what Jesus had to say. He, he wanted his money problem fixed. Master, verse 13, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. If I could give you one title for the message today, if you'd like to take notes, it would be this, the Christian's money seeing the big picture. The Christian's money seeing the big picture. I want to give you three observations we see from this passage that will help us grow our faith in the area of money, okay? Number one, I want you to see a carnal concern. Carnal means fleshly, a carnal concern. Look at this guy. He said, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, the guy, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? This is such an embarrassing thing for this guy at this particular moment. Jesus could not have been talking about more important things. And this man is worried about getting his fair share of the inheritance from his father. Just for context, what was probably happening was this. The tradition here was that the elder brother, he's probably a younger brother, because the elder brother would have received double the portion of the inheritance. That's common in the Old Testament, you see that. That's probably what happened. He probably got double the portion, the younger brother got less. But really, it doesn't matter. What this guy felt was slighted. He felt like he deserved more money. So he went to the master. There's the, He called him master as in like rabbi. Rabbis would, in this time, would would typically and commonly have some sort of judgment over matters of tradition over the law like this one. And so Jesus has a lot of people around him. Jesus is somebody that seems like he's got authority and power. A lot of people are following him. So he said, Master, speak to my brother that he gives me more money from our father, free money from our father. Now, Jesus, what he always does is he answers according to our heart, not according to what we say what we want him to do. He is not a genie in a bottle. The Bible is not just a a little mediator to settle our petty squabbles. What will always happen when we take things to the Lord is he will change our focus entirely. Uh, he, it does address our problems. It does address the issues of today, but it also changes our eyes where we're focusing and shows us what the real issues are. To this guy, the most important thing in the world was that he gets more money. To Jesus, he did not even address the question. His answer was a totally different change of subject. He looked at this guy and he said, man, who made me a judge? This is not why I'm here. I am here to save souls. I am here to die for the sins of the world. I'm not here to worry about your little petty money thing. And then he's going to give this guy a big picture view of life, a big picture view specifically of money that I think we all need. You know, the less mature, so it's it's a carnal concern, the less, and I I briefly mentioned it in Sunday school because I had this on my mind, the less mature somebody is, the more irrelevant and thoughtless their questions are. 
you know, uh, I can't even think of an example, but our kids are constantly asking, the little one especially, the four-year-old, about what are we going to do when we get there? We say, okay, we're going to go home. This is an easy one. This happens all the time. We're going to go home on Monday, tomorrow. We're going to go home tomorrow. And his question is, what are we going to do at home? I'm like, what are we going to do at home? We're going home. What do you mean? They've got to have a, like an agenda. What are we going to, as soon as they get into the car, we've got a DVD player in our car. And if you think that's wrong, then you've never traveled hours and hours and hours and hours with a van full of children. It's a blessing. I like this generation that we live in. Okay. Uh, no covered wagon nonsense for us. And so uh, we get in the car and they say, can we watch a show? And I say, I'm literally, I haven't put my seatbelt on yet. Okay. So the questions are, are me, 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 irrelevant. And, and if I can say this, unspiritual questions for a Christian are this, always looking at what's right in front of them, right at that moment and selfishly. How is this going to affect me? That's what it is. A selfish, carnal Christian is always going to be, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but uh, a carnal Christian is always going to be concerned about how does this next move affect me? Me, 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 me. Well, it, it changes in a church, and I've only been here the one other Sunday, and I don't know of any problems, and I'm sure there's no problems. There's no problems in this church. Just kidding. Every church has problems. Every church has people, but... Often you will see, you will sense when you make an announcement or something is changing or whatever, the carnal Christians will rise to the top because if, if that's right, if you can say, you'll, you'll see them evidenced because they will voice a concern or complain on how that affects them. How does this affect me? Not how can I be a blessing and serve? And that was this guy right here. He said, Master, yeah, you're talking about all this stuff, eternal life, right? Sure, blasphemy against Holy Spirit. Things spoken in secret will be spoken on the house. It's fine. Speak it to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Me, 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 me. My money. I want more stuff. Me. And Jesus did not even answer this question. Sometimes uh, preachers get asked questions, maybe Bible questions, that you can't even really answer the question because the foundation, the basis of the question is so ill-informed in the first place. You've got to kind of reach back. Well, I understand your question, but here's what you should be asking. And that's what Jesus did. This man had a carnal concern. Look, number two, I want you to see what he actually answers. He gives him a caution, if you're taking notes, a caution against covetousness. Jesus said the real, he was paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing. What he's saying is the real problem here is not whether or not you're getting your fair share. It's not how much money you have in the bank or whatever. The real problem here, sir, is your covetousness. That's what he says. Look at verse number 15. This is a great verse to memorize. He said unto them, them all, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Can I read that once more? Boy, that's good. Underline that, circle that. He said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness. Just real quick, what is covetousness? Covetousness is basically like greed. I want something that I don't have so bad that I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm consumed by it. I resent you for having it. And it's, it's real care. It's, it's, it's real easy to get there. You, uh, there, uh, every time a brand new car comes out, someone asked me about like classic cars. That's fine. I'd rather it be brand new, a brand new car with no problems, the cheap parts. And I, every time a brand, like a new Tahoe or a Lincoln Navigator or that new Ford Bronco, a heritage edition is coming out next year with the sixties colors. It looks cool. And I'll see that. Oh man, I'd like to have that. And that's fine. But you got to be real careful though. Cause that can, if you dwell on that and you're not satisfied with what God has given you, that can change into something very unhealthy. 
It can drive what you do in life. And you should, everything you do should be done heartily as to the Lord. You should do nothing halfway, including your work. If you can do better, you should be doing better. And that will often give you some prosperity. But we'll have the right view of that here in a second. But covetousness is you not being satisfied with what God has given you today. Covetousness, we could talk more about money broader than money, though. Covetousness will lead a man to be unfaithful to his wife because he's not satisfied with the precious gift God has given him today, not satisfied with his own family that he has. You could go on and on with that. If you're uh, uh, always grumpy at work and you're not thankful for the job God has given you, covetousness, I feel like I deserve more. That was this guy here. And he's saying, listen, everybody, Jesus said this. Whenever Jesus makes an announcement, you want to listen. Take heed, beware of that. Beware, beware. You ever seen a sign that says, beware of dog on a chain link fence? There's like bodies in the yard. You want to just heed that sign, right? They know more than you do about the the danger. Beware of covetousness for here's the thing. The opposite of what you and I think in life. The opposite of what a carnal, fleshly, simple person would think. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. How you are defined is not how much money you have or what kind of job you have, or how much is in the bank, or how many degrees you have. It does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So he tells a parable. Look at verse 16. Here's an illustration. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So there's a businessman. He's doing well. If it was today, it would be a man who made a good investment. He found the, the niche. He found what this town needed. He found, uh, he got it on the ground level. He got the, an IPO of a really good new investment corporation, whatever. He did well. Here, the ground of a certain rich man. The ground is something that God would give you. Uh, God controls the weather. You just are, are fortunate enough to be a steward of the resources God has given. That's the case for all of us. We've all been given what we've earned from God. We've given the ability to work. The ground of a certain rich man, though, brought forth plentifully. So he already had a lot, and he's getting a lot more. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Now, I already know he wasn't a giver, because he already had plenty. You all should be a giver. I should be a giver. No matter how much you have, you should have a habit of giving and being a giver. But this guy here, he already had a lot. He was rich. Nothing wrong with being rich. Uh, I never got a job from a poor man uh, working in, in the secular world and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But it matters how you view your resources. It matters how you view the blessings of God. They are all gifts from God. The same as talents, the same as your time. They should be viewed as something you can give back to God. Serve others, serve God. Same thing with your treasures. But he was a hoarder. He wanted it all for himself. He who dies with the most wins. That was him. He was more, 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 more. What shall I do? Wouldn't you uh, not really mind to have that problem? You have so much money, you can't figure out what to do with it. That was him. What shall I do? Here's the first world problem. Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. It was tangible things. He had to put it somewhere. And he said, this will I do. He had an epiphany. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul... Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So as a last hurrah in his career, he's probably early in his career, not retirement age, early. He's making tons of money. He doesn't have room to put all of his goods, his crops, all the things that he has, his tangible things. He says, here's what I'm going to do, a major building project. I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to add to those resources, materials. I'm going to build greater barns, enough to last me many years. That's what it says here. And I'm going to take that early retirement. 
retirement. And now finally, after working so hard all these years, I'm going to relax. I'm going to tour the country. Kara and I, we talked about maybe we'd like to get an RV one day in our old age and tour the country. And a lot of people do that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But that was his goal in life was pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Me, 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 me. What can I do? I want to get more stuff. But then God intervened. You see, that is the carnal question which leads to covetousness. Look at verse 20, but God. By the way, that little, those two words, if you search that and you're maybe online concordant or something, but God, but God really changes situations right there. By the way, you were uh, sick, somebody prayed for you, but God. The doctor said this, but God intervened. You were a sinner on your way to hell, but God intervened there, you know. And right here, uh, he said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Things are going well. I have extreme blessing. I've got a ton of money. I have enough to last me for the rest of my life. I'm about to kick it sweet on the beach. It's going to be awesome. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? He said, thou fool. What a foolish thing. And that is a foolish thing. You know, I talked about little picture, big picture, immature, mature faith as, as a Christian. We get so absorbed in this life. And yet if we were able to look at our existence in the scope of eternity, eternity, if you can imagine eternity, if you like math, I didn't like math, but I remember this, array, there's a, a beginning point, our eternal life began when we accepted Jesus Christ, and it has no ending, a point, line, arrow at the end, meaning it never, ever ends, that's our existence now. And if you could look at the timeline of our life, of our eternity in heaven with God, serving God, worshiping God, all of that, our earthly life here, it, it would be impossible to see. You'd have to magnify, magnify, and really eternity, I don't know if you could have magnified enough, our life is just a little speck on that line. Maybe, maybe less than a speck, just a little vapor of a life. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And yet we as Christians get so absorbed in this life. I hope I have enough money. I hope uh, I'm treated well enough. I hope I'm comfortable enough. And, and we're worried, worried, worried all the time, all the time. And Jesus is trying to take this little picture, immature faith guy here and broaden it and, and say, look, if you got the inheritance, if you had gotten all of the inheritance, young man here that you're asking me in verse number 13, if you got all the money in the world, if you got everything that you're asking me and more, what would the point be? Because a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. A hoarded life is a wasted life. Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Finally, this morning, I'd like you to see a certain contribution, a certain or a guaranteed contribution. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In this life, I will admit that it, it can be uh, anxiety-filling to have to deal with money because you need money to live. Money's not a bad thing. Money's a, a bad master, but you do need money to live. You need money to turn these lights on. These missionaries need money to go to the field. God provides that through his people here. But but it's it's not good to be worried about money, but just just to be fair, I can see how somebody would get there. Annually, as of last month, the last report that came out, inflation is at 8.3% in America. You know what that means, but just in case, it means that your dollar as of a year ago has 8.3 less 
percent buying power than, than it did before. Uh, on top of that, uh, the interest rates the Federal Reserve says are going to go up. They're going to continue to go up. And they say it will probably, definitely, it will probably cause a recession. Uh, there's going to be more unemployment and uh, bellwether stocks like FedEx, I think this happened just over the weekend or Friday. Uh, they're saying it's going to get worse. People are shipping less packages, different goods. And so you look at uh, United States, you look at your perhaps retirement account. Is your retirement account doing great? It's doing really well. Stocks last couple years. No, they're not. And you can get real worried about that. And you can say, what am I going to do? There is really, as you look across, you're trying to figure out where to put your money and, and you know, you should save. You should save for retirement. I'm not saying that, uh, that you shouldn't, but you're looking, where should I I put my money, what should I do? There really is no certain investment. There is no place where you can put your money. Even the accounts that are backed by the Federal Reserve, that's on the condition that it stays around and stays powerful. There's just really no absolutely positive certain thing in life. There's no sure certain place to put your money where it will be secure and it will get that interest accrued that you've seen in the past, except for one, a heavenly investment. The things that you send on will stay. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. It is such an unhealthy thing for a person, a Christian, to get so wrapped up and so committed to a tangible item here on earth, whether that's money whether that's a building, whether that's you, you name it and say that this is me, this is my identity, this thing, uh, whatever, and not put it in Christ because everything here on this earth is fleeting. All the things that you see, it's fleeting. Uh, this, this building, it's a beautiful building. It will crumble one day, perhaps hopefully after Jesus comes back. But if not, it's just a building. You see, uh, we could have church just in a field with a tent, without a tent, with nothing but a King James Bible and a preacher who lifts his voice, that's a church. The church is you. The church is people. Anything else is a perversion of reality. It's small picture. It's little stuff. Big picture is seeing things in the light of eternity. Small picture is you looking at your bank account and being worried. Small picture is you looking at this faith promise thing and thinking, how much can I afford to give? How much do these stinking, snotty missionaries deserve out of my hard-earned paycheck? No, big picture is this. Big picture is whatever I withhold will be gone one day. Now, I'm not saying you should be unwise. This man here in the Bible, he was already rich. His problem was he had too much. He wasn't willing to depart with any of it. But I'm saying this. All that you keep will one day be gone. Now, you've got to pay your bills. You've got to pay the mortgage or whatever. You've got to feed yourself. But what you send ahead, what you give to the Lord, what you give away will last forever. You're putting in a bank account that is secure in heaven. Look at this. I'll just read a little bit more. And Jesus says this, verse 22, said unto his disciples, therefore, I love the word therefore, because it's a conclusion from what he just said. This is the application of the story. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. That means don't be worried. The life is more than meat, the body more than raiment, what you wear. Consider the raven. So he's going to give a couple of examples here. Notice this. Man, I just love this passage. He's saying here's a couple of examples of some things in nature 
that don't do anything to provide for themselves, that are by their very creation designed to be totally dependent upon God. And look at the result. Here's what happens to them. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They don't have a farm, which neither have storehouse nor barn. They don't have a savings account, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? Can you think really hard and make yourself taller? No. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, it wouldn't be a big deal to God, why take ye thought for the rest? Here's another example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they don't work, neither they spin not, they don't make themselves any garments. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Isn't that good? These things in nature that God has designed to be like this. Now, God's designed us to work, but we still depend upon God. These things that God has designed, they're not supposed to make themselves clothes. The raven is not supposed to have a garden, and yet God cares for them. God feeds the raven. God clothes the lilies. You and I think, God forbid I should rely totally upon God. Well, when you do, God always takes care of it. He always does. Uh, Seek ye not, verse 29, seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. Nation always means Gentile, unbelieving by that. And your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. You need some things, but first, keep the main thing the main thing. Seek the will of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. I got all the way to this verse because I wanted to explain. This is not saying that you've got to be penniless, zero dollars, in order to have eternal life. It reminds me of what Jesus said to that rich young ruler when he came to him and said, Master, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Remember what Jesus said? Oh, and he said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And Jesus was answering his heart, not the words that he was saying, because he knew that this guy was not ready to accept Jesus. Because in order to accept Jesus, you've got to have faith in Jesus Christ alone as preeminent, as Lord. It can't just be you're adding Jesus to your list of reasons why you should be allowed in heaven. My good words, my baptism, my church membership. I've kept all the commandments. I have a lot of money. It it has to be Jesus alone first. And then other things follow. And remember what he said to this rich young ruler. He said, one thing that, that you lack, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor and follow me. Because he knew, Jesus knew that this man, he was not ready to follow Jesus because he was not willing to put Jesus first yet. And the rich man, you remember, he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And that's kind of what we're saying here. Jesus is saying, you have got to put me first. So that's what he's saying. Sell ye have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old. Everything that you send ahead to heaven will last. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. And then look at this last verse we'll look at. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I can tell you how much you give to missions by how excited you are for missions month. (laughs) I don't care about missionaries. Ah, you probably don't give to the missions, do you? I don't care that church, if somebody who complains at at church or who doesn't care for the pastor or whatever, they're probably not givers because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to encourage you. You want a better heart for missions? Start to give to missions. Start to pray 
for missions. You gotta love missionaries. This is a broader application than just missions. But I'll tell you, every dollar that you give to missions, the fruit that they see on the field, that is applied to your account. I believe that. I believe that the souls that they see saved, uh, that's on your account right there. What a blessing you can be with the money God has given you. And, and what a burden it is to hoard it. Uh, Scrooge McDuck, remember the cartoon? He wasn't a happy guy at all, right? But he had everything and more that he ever could have needed. You and I need to have the right perspective on money and start focusing on the big picture. This morning, I talked about salvation. If you're not saved, you're not for sure you're going to heaven when you die. The big picture is this, that God loves you. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh to die and rise again to save you. And the gift of eternal life is yours for the receiving, the gospel, if you'll just put trust and but faith. And if you are saved this morning, I encourage you, allow the word of God to give you the right perspective in every area of your life, including money, and to grow your faith.